Happy Sabbath. The song I'm singing is an old favorite that I used to sing a long time ago. It's called Wonderful Merciful Savior. Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue this man? Oh, you rescued the souls of men.
today's when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel he said to them take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law they are not just idle words for you they are your life by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. I want to thank everyone. Thank you so much for the special music. Thank you so much to the leadership of this church that um, just fills in the gaps. And I want to thank you for John for still taking care of that um, nominating committee church business that um, that amidst the busyness um, still needed to be done. So thank you so much for taking care of that. Thank you all for being here today. It's a high Sabbath, amen? Amen. And we're praising God for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, let's go ahead and pray, and we will get right into our sermon for this morning. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for uh, the beauty of the day, thank the lives to Christ, and Lord, I pray that that continues to be the trend for today and from now on, Lord, that we continue to be able to help usher people to the foot of the cross, to the Savior, and that the fruit of our lives would bear witness to the fact that we have been with Jesus. And I just pray, dear God, that you would speak this morning to us. I pray, Lord, that the words that are spoken would come directly from your throne and that your will would be accomplished in each of our lives today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometime when Martin Luther, the great reformer, who lived, you know, in the 16th century, around about late 15th, early 16th century, um, sometime when he was at the university, uh, and in the library at that university, he found a full copy of the Bible. It was probably the first copy he had ever encountered because Bibles were in very short supply in those days. And he would spend hours poring over the pages, learning the books of the Bible. He would go on to join a monastery where he was uh, to become a priest. And he There, at the monastery, he found a Bible that was actually chained to the wall. That's how rare of a commodity Bibles were in those days. They were actually chained to places so that people could not steal them. Uh, It wasn't like everybody had a Bible and we had 50 Bibles in the pews of our churches. Uh, The Word of God was in very short. When you first came to Christ and you were first learning about the Bible, uh, I can remember being a teenager, 17, 18 years old, and there were just times I just couldn't seem to put it down. And so I can identify with Martin Luther in his fervent study. And as he read the Word of God, the convicting power had an influence in his life. And he began to experience overwhelming conviction for his sins. Because you see, the Bible is outlining for us who God is and what righteous behavior is and who we are, essentially, in our fallen condition. And so Martin Luther became overwhelmed by the weight of sin in his life. And he likes to drive us to depression. But praise God, he had a friend who came to his side... Um, a fellow clergyman, and he 
pointed him to Jesus as being a sin-pardoning Savior. You don't have to dwell upon and suffer under the weight of your sins and under that guilt. You can go to Jesus, who is our substitutionary sacrifice, and it is by grace, through faith in him, that we experience salvation. Amen? And so Martin Luther, as he got this good advice... And he's reading in the Bible in that text in Romans 1.17. Paul's actually quoting an Old Testament book when he says, shall live by faith. And Martin Luther, was he had grown up in a church system where you had to work, kind of work off your sins. You had to work your way to heaven. If you did enough good deeds, you would be in good standing with God. That's how he had been trained. That's how he had been taught. And so understanding grace through faith in Jesus and that it's actually Him living in us, that produces the fruit in our lives. He didn't understand that quite yet. At some point in time, as he was in the infamous story or famous story of him climbing Pilate's staircase, he, as he was climbing up, doing this act of penance in a way of, of um, the Bible that he had carefully studied and read, flashed in his mind, the just shall live by faith. And it very much affected him so much so. It was like the proverbial scriptural two-by-four that he literally stood to his feet and he felt ashamed of himself as he descended down the staircase. Um, he would go on to publish many tracts. He would go on to point out the difference in the, the ways that the church was teaching that you could earn your way, that you could pay your way, that you could pay if you just did enough things, if you just prayed enough prayers, Hail Marys, um, Our Fathers, if you just did that enough times, you could be saved. And so many people uh, just... It, it never gives us peace in that way. And so he was looking for the peace that only comes from God, a peace that passes our understanding. And he published many books, many tracts, pointing out that we cannot charge people for salvation. Well, you cannot charge people indulgences for forgiveness of sins. This is contrary to the character of God. Salvation is a free gift that should be able to be enjoyed by all. And they can experience the peace of God in their lives. And so he published many books and tracts. And all of a sudden, as people were gaining enough of the truth, and they knew that they could go directly to Jesus Christ himself, and they didn't have to go to a, a, a mediator, a man, to find forgiveness of sins, all of a sudden, the money started drying up that was going into those coffers for the the forgiveness of sins. And that's when the, the church uh, at that time, the institution took notice and they came down on this poor monk who was sharing the gospel because of the lack of funding that was coming in. People were, were learning the truth. The common people were understanding the Bible for the first time. You see, Martin Luther himself and all the common people of his day did not have Bibles. They only knew what the pre 
by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and it set them free from their sins. They weren't bound by them anymore. There was actually power in it. And the coffer started drying up, and the church took notice. And the common people loved him for his work. He would eventually go on to nail his 95 theses to the door um, at the church in Wittenberg in Germany, and he would gain international attention for his protest against the evil of the um, established church at that time. He, found him, he soon found himself in trouble, and he was summoned to a meeting with all the world leaders, in the leaders of the church at that time. And he was, all of his friends warned him, don't go. This is going to cost you your life if you go to this meeting. And Luther, he was a wordsmith. He said a lot of very witty things. And one of his quotes in his friend's opposition to him going, he says, though there be, there should be as many devils at worms as there are tiles on its roof, I would still enter. Because he felt so convicted and he felt so strongly about the gospel that he was proclaiming. And he said in front of, as he was asked to recant of his evil, of his blasphemous teaching, leaders by the heads of the church. He's asked to recant, tell the people to go back to the way things used to be. And he says this, he says, If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text that I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I can, I can, nor, I cannot, nor will retract anything. He's standing before the world leaders at this point in time. He says, it cannot be right for a Christian to speak against his conscience. He says, here I take my stand. I can't do otherwise. God be my help. Amen. The word of God impacted him. As he read its pages, it had an influence in his life. It set him free from the guilt, from the, the pain, from, the, from his methodology of trying to find peace with God. It set him free and gave him peace in his heart and in his mind. God preserved his life that day. But many of the great reformers that we speak about, John Huss, John Wycliffe, and others, they gave their lives as they had conquered death. The, they were depending on God and His Word, not on themselves, not on their circumstances. They were depending on God. For hundreds of years, people had been kept in darkness as to the true means of salvation up till that point in time. And that's why it had, it was so warmly welcomed. And that's why we call the, those ages the dark ages because the Bible was suppressed from the people. <clears throat> but look at the Reformation that occurred as soon as the Bible truth was introduced to people. As soon as they knew they could experience 
Christ in them and they could experience the fruit that we talked about of Him in their lives. They could experience joy, love, and peace in their own hearts as soon as they were introduced to a sin. A great, there's, there is no telling. Only God knows at this point the impact that Luther's work has had on our world and the countless untold millions of people who have been impacted as a result of his proclamation and many other reformers around that time as they proclaimed the word of God. It changed Christianity forever. I want to read about a reformation that occurred in the Bible. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to read this story. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. This is a young king. He was actually only eight years old when he took over the throne. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And like Martin Luther, the word of God had been suppressed for many years. I don't know how many years at this point in time, probably close to a hundred or more. Not, not the same as the hundreds of years that it was during the time of Martin Luther. But this is a biblical reformation. And we're going to find that the word of God has a, has a huge impact on, on our lives. I have often told people, just read the Bible. You cannot interact with its pages without it having some impact on your life. And there is power in the pages themselves to change your life. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we're going to begin. So, Josiah is, is taking over on the heels of two evil kings, Ammon and Manasseh. And the Bible speaks, most of us have heard of the king, evil king Manasseh. And the Bible says a couple of different times, I'll read a couple of quotes. Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen. He introduced idol worship, Baal worship. The Bible says in another place, <clears throat> he also was responsible for much innocent blood in Jerusalem. It says, the Bible says in 2 Kings 21 that Manasseh shed innocent blood very much until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with the blood of innocent people. Manasseh was a very wicked king. He actually put an idol in the temple of God that he had built, which was known at the time as the most beautiful temple uh, until that time. And it probably still was. The one that was built after it was not nearly as glorious as the temple that Solomon built. <clears throat> and so here we are in Second Chronicles. All this, Josiah is a young person. He's a very young king at this point in his life. He started some reforms. He started trying to undo the evil that had been going on. But it had been going on for many years. And people don't change very quickly. They just continue in their evil behavior. Even if someone comes along and says, Listen, God is not pleased. This is not a behavior that reflects the Almighty God. We're the nation of God. And yet here we are murdering innocent people. Here we are offering our children to idols. So he knew internally that it was wrong. But something very key happened. 14. Verse 14 says, now when, they had brought, now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the priest, 
I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So it was something they found. It wasn't something they knew where it was. It had not been read for a very long time. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, all that was committed to your servants they are doing, they're rebuilding, helping reconstruct the temple. Verse 17, And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. And Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, He has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, the reading of the word. And look at what the reading of the word does. It elicits a response in the life of Josiah, just like it elicited a response in the life of the great reformer Martin Luther and many others. Listen to what the Bible says. Thus it happened that when the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. Tearing his clothes meant that he was in great distress. He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the king, said, Go, inquire of the Lord for for those who are still left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. He goes on to say, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do all that is according to written in this book. Obviously, the idolatry, the shedding of innocent blood is is evil behavior. So when he reads in the book of the law, and I can surmise where he was reading from the book of Deuteronomy, I believe he was reading at the latter end in which God outlines that if you stay in harmony with me, if you maintain a relationship with me, you'll reflect good behavior in your life because I am good, I am God. That's God shining through us. He says, if you stay in harmony with me, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed in the field. Your, your, your grapevines, your, your fields will produce much abundance for you. Your cattle will produce. You'll be so blessed because when we have God in our lives, we're blessed. Because the blessing of God is His presence. And He changes and He transforms our lives. And so when God is in it, that's the blessing of God is His presence and His ability to work in our behavior. So as we reflect Him, as we have a relationship with Him, He makes our lives so much better than when we're just left on our own. And so He's outlining that in Deuteronomy, the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And one of the curses that I believe He was reading in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is God said, if you turn away from from walking in harmony with me, if you turn away from a relationship with me, these are the inevitable results. You subject yourself to all kinds of difficulties in your life. You subject yourself to a hard life. You subject yourself to difficult relationships. You subject yourself to just being your carnal self. And you'll get that in return. And your relationships will be bad. In your, in your field, your produce, you won't have the blessing of God on your side because you're not reflecting Him. You're not walking. You have to maintain a relationship with Him in order to have the blessing of God in your life. And so he's reading 
the curses. And one of the curses that comes is he says, eventually when you turn away from me, since we are built to worship, eventually you'll worship other gods. And that's part of, he outlined it as an actual curse. We're designed to worship something. We will worship something. At this point in time, they're worshiping false gods, worshiping idols. Many people worship themselves today. Their life is all about themselves. And so they're actually worshiping themselves. Okay? Very selfish. And Paul outlines that at the end of time. People will be lovers of their own selves more than lovers of God. It's in 1 Timothy. And so when Josiah hears this, he says one of, the, one of the curses is that you will worship other gods and that you will be eventually taken into captivity. And so when he hears this, and we can read it in Deuteronomy 28, when he hears this, he immediately tears his clothes he, because all he knows is idolatry. All he knows is that that's what we've been doing my whole life and years, who knows how many years before. So he's like, go inquire of the Lord and see how much time we have left. Find out. Because he knew that the word of God was going to come true. He knew that <clears throat> if they were living this way, <coughs> sorry, right into the microphone. I'm used to it being on the left side, not the right side. He knew that eventually they would be carried away captive for their behavior. He knew that eventually they would be taken because he knew that God's word was true. And he knew that God, whatever God said would come to pass because God cannot lie. His word has creative power. It's got a transforming influence in our lives. And so let's continue reading. He says, go seek the Lord. So Hilkiah and those who the king had appointed, this is verse 22, went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hazra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Verse 23, she answered them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, verse 26, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Thus surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. There's a key element here. God sees in Josiah a heart that wants to do his will. 
God sees in Josiah somebody who is humble and who is willing to submit themselves to God's leading in their life, to surrender to His Spirit working in their life. This is very important for us, for humanity as a whole, is humbling ourselves, being willing. Lord, I am, I am like Solomon, I am but a child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I need you to lead in my life. I need you to do this work. I want to be blessed. I want to be in your kingdom. So I'm surrendering my life to you. This is very important. Having a heart of humility, one that is willing to surrender to the word of the Almighty God. He was willing to do whatever God asked. He was willing to surrender to God's prescription for human behavior rather than continuing in the traditions that he had always experienced. The word of God elicited and transformed him as a person. And then it went to the nation. First it impacted him. And then it went to the nation. And that's very much what the word of God is supposed to do. It's not something that we just hear each week and hear it and hear it and hear it. It is supposed to be something that we internalize and it transforms our life and then we take that same blessing of God to our home, to our family, to our community. That's what church, that's what all of this is for, is for us to have the same convicting experience of Josiah and actually reacting to it. Jeff and Joy did that. They experienced the conviction of God in their own life and they said, Lord, I want to be saved. Lord, I want to surrender my life to you, whatever that is. Please come into my life and take over. Please come in and do something with it. I did the same thing many years ago. Lord, the way that I'm going is leading me nowhere. So please, I'm inviting you to take over my life and do something with it. Do something productive with it. Lord, I want to be a blessing. I want to be able to reflect your character in this world. Josiah went on as he experienced conviction. And as he went on, he instituted this is the greatest reformation that ever happened because of how far away they had gone from God and how far through Josiah God brought them back to himself. His response to the Word of God was not one of apathy. It was not one of, oh, that's a nice thought. It was, I want that to take, I want that to change my life. I want, this is the process of sanctification. As we read, as we study, and as God convicts us, He is drawing us closer to Him, and He is transforming our life into His image all along that way. Josiah wept because he believed in a God who kept his promises. He believed that when God speaks, whatever that thing is, it comes to pass. And so he immediately did something. He turned to God. That has to be our response. 
when we experience conviction, when we read something in the Bible that's impossible for us to do, like loving those who hate us, blessing and doing good to those who despitefully use us and mistreat us, as God, as Jesus outlined in the Sermon on the Mount, that's impossible for us as human beings. Sin produces sin in us. When somebody says something bad about us, our knee-jerk reaction is to do the same thing to them. Sin produces sin. But Jesus is saying that when you have me in your life, he is able to transform that so that we can reflect God's response. And God's response is not one of doing the same thing. God's response is blessing and, and praying for those who are mistreating you, spitefully using you, saying all manner of evil against you. God's response is totally different than a human response. And the Bible is God's outline for us, showing us who He is and showing us how far we have fallen away from the mark. And He's inviting us. He wants us to invite Him into our lives so He can change us and be able to reflect His character once again. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47, as Solomon read, God sums it up with this way. He says, Be careful to do observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you to do, because it is your life. It's not something we just casually do church. It is meant God wants to transform us as human beings, to take that transformation home to our family so that we can be a, a a reflection of Him in our family and in our home. And then we can in turn transform our community. <clears throat> How long has it been since the Word of God had an impact on your life? How long has it been since it elicited a response from you and you actually responded to what the Holy Spirit was convicting you to do? The right thing in any given moment. As we yield to the Holy Spirit convicting us to do the right thing in any given moment, whether it's telling the truth. God is truth. As we tell the truth, we are reflecting His character rather than telling lies, which is a reflection of a satanic nature, an evil nature. Jesus said that Lucifer, Satan, is the, the, the father of lies. He's the first one to do it, and he's the, the founder of it. So as we tell lies, we reflect the nature of him. As we tell truth, we reflect the nature of the Almighty God, who is truth. In both cases, in the case of Martin Luther, and in the case of Josiah, when they heard the Word of God, it changed their life. It had an impact, because there is power in the Word itself to do what it says it's going to do. When God speaks, something happens. It's impossible for it not to. <clears throat> Martin Luther turned away from the traditions of the Catholic Church and through his mighty pen, he encouraged others to follow his example. He taught them that salvation could never be bought or earned, but that it was a free gift of the Almighty God. When Josiah heard the word of God, he immediately tore his clothes and wept and he issued reforms throughout the entire nation of Israel. These life-giving words elicited a response from the reader. We read in the Word of God how we ought not to speak evil of our neighbor, 
yet it comes to us about as naturally as breathing sometimes. I don't know about you, but I want the Word of God to change the hearts and minds in my sphere of influence, in my family, in my own life, in my community. The Word of God changed the heart of this king. And from there, he committed himself. If you flip over the page, turn the page, 2 Chronicles 34. I'm closing. 34 verse 31. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. He presented himself, he committed himself before the entire nation. Just like when we go to the waters of baptism, we're committing ourselves to the Almighty God in front of our family, in front of our church friends. We're saying, I want to, I want to be in Christ's kingdom. I want to follow Him. And I want to discipline my life to follow Him and be a disciple. <clears throat> we're living in a very unique time in human history. We've experienced a lot in the last several years. Lots of fear, lots of anxiety, lots of upheaval, social upheaval, political upheaval. People are living in a constant one state of anxiety and fear to the next. Not knowing what is going to come. I invite you to, to turn to the Bible for comfort today. I invite you to turn to the pages of Scripture. Jesus said He wants to give us peace in our lives. We don't have to focus on the circumstantial problems that are going on. We can focus on Christ and experience His peace in the midst of whatever we may be going through. We see that in the life of Jesus Himself. We celebrated it last weekend. Even though He was going through the most difficult trial a human being could imagine, He was still reflecting the nature and the character of God in spite of His circumstances in spite of excruciating pain, in spite of everything that the devil threw at him to cause him to sin, he depended on his Father completely, and he was able to continue reflecting the godly, dignified bearing that matches up with God, with the character that we were designed to reflect. It gives me great peace when I read in Philippians 1.6 that he who has begun a good work in me will finish that work. I'm depending on God to finish the work in me, not on myself. He's not finished with me yet. We continue day by day surrendering our life to Christ and He continues to transform us into His image so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit that we were designed to reflect. Committing ourselves every day. Paul says, I die daily. We want to live to Christ. Dedicating ourselves to Jesus. How long has it been since the Word of God has had an impact on your life? I have found in my experience that the Lord's ways are higher than my ways. They're higher than our ways. They're better because He is a perfect, sinless being. He's got a good prescription for humanity. And our ways of doing things have led us to the pit that we're in, to the constant state of anxiety and fear that we're in. And Jesus wants to give us peace in this world. I have found that His prescription for us, for our relationships, are far better than what is going on out in the world today. 
It is in the Word of God that we find the prescription for forgiveness. It's in the Word of God that we find guidance for all of our human woes. We find that we ought to esteem others as better than ourselves. We find that we ought to treat others in a way that we would want to be treated. That's the golden rule. We find that we ought to speak to others the way that we would want to be spoken to. We find the prescription for contentment in the Word of God. Once you allow the Word of God to impact your own life, it can then change your life, your family, and our, ultimately our community. We want to be a reflection of God, of peace and joy in a world of anxiety and fear. And we want to be able to share that precious gift with the world around us. That's why we're here, is to point other people to a better kingdom that is coming. And we can live as citizens of that kingdom here and now. How many, how many want the word of God to change your life today? How many, by a show of hands, you want to see that change the life of your family, your, your, your friendships, the dynamic of your family? God can do all of those things. But we have to be willing to surrender to whatever that prescription is. And there is power in the word itself that as we walk in harmony with it, it is transforming us. It has a sanctifying influence on our lives. My admonishment for each one of us is that as we are going about our lives, that as you're reading the word of God, Don't just surfacely just read it as a check-off thing for your day that day. But I pray that it would have an impact, that it would do something to you. As we yield, as we surrender, God can do amazing things with a life that is surrendered to Him. Let's pray. Kind Father in heaven, Lord, we're surrendering our hearts to you today. We're surrendering our minds. We're surrendering our lives. We want you to do a mighty work. Lord, we look at the Bible. We see the great things that you did through the prophets of old. We see the great things that you've done in the lives of Daniel and David, Moses, in the lives of Esther. Lord, we see that when somebody surrenders their life to you, you can do magnificent things. In the case of Josiah, a nation was transformed for a time. In the case of Martin Luther, the world has been transformed by the message of grace. Lord, thank you so much for preserving your word for us. Help us not to take it lightly. Help us to desire. Give us a desire. If we don't have the desire, give us the desire to be in harmony with you. We love you, Lord, and we pray All these things, in Jesus' name, amen.